Recording. Yay. Yep. Recording. All right. Miracle on 34th Street. The 1947 version in three, two, one. Happy holidays, Kiki. Merry Christmas Tuesday. And Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all of you fine, fine listeners who have decided to spend part of your Christmas with us. As this episode is going up on Christmas Day. And because it's going up on Christmas Day, we are going to be doing a classic Christmas movie, Miracle on 34th Street, the 1947 original film. This movie's been remade a couple of times. I mean, there was a 1950s version, so like 10 years after this came out, there was a remake in the 1950s specifically for television. Uh, There was another remake in the 70s for television. And then we get to uh, possibly the most well-known version of our generation, the 1994 version. So, Kiki, I must ask you, is there a reason why you you personally chose this movie? Is there a reason why you wanted to do the original 1947 version rather than the 90s version? Well, I mean, the 90s version had... A really good cast that, like, our generation knew. Because, like, it had Mara Wilson in it. And it had Richard Attenborough and everything. But it it lost a lot of the charm because the, the main linchpin of the original movie is we have the... Real Santa Claus, presumably, showing up at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and then being the Santa Claus at Macy's. That's why it's a miracle on 34th Street, the address of Macy's in New York. (laughs) So the problem is when they went to do the 94 feature film, okay, Macy's refused them the rights to have it be in Macy's because Macy's was like, no, you cannot improve on the original film. That was a classic. You're going to screw it up somehow. You cannot have it be at Macy's. So they made up a, just a fake store that was also on 34th street in New York. And also by that point, Gimbel's, the rival store that is part of the film, had long gone out of business. So they had to come up with another fake store to be, you know. So it kind of loses some of the punch of being like, what if you went to the Macy's Day Parade and the real Santa Claus was there? What if you went to the most famous store you know one of the most famous stores in new york to see santa claus and it was the real santa claus you know Mm. so it loses a bit of the punch in the 94 version because it's just like hey what if you went into a random store and santa claus was there you know Because this is such an, I don't know how this 
film plays to anyone who's not American. But this is so steeped in American holiday tradition. Because the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is literally the start of Christmas season for basically everyone in America. You mean it's not September 1st? Uh, Well, I mean, traditionally, you know, that was the start of the Christmas season. Mm -hmm. Because you had, you know, all the balloons and all the, you know, whatever. And And then then Santa Claus comes at the end of the parade. Christmas is here! Yeah, I mean, and that was traditionally when we were growing up before, because I don't know if you remember, but when we were kids, Christmas season started literally the day after Thanksgiving. Like, you'd go to bed on Thanksgiving night, and you'd wake up the next day, and you'd walk into any store, and suddenly Christmas decorations were everywhere. If you walked in the day before Thanksgiving, nothing. A pre-Black Friday world. Yeah, I mean, Black Friday wasn't as big a deal when we were kids. There were some sales and whatever, but it wasn't as big a thing. But I remember when we were kids that, like, you would go... Everything would shut down on Thanksgiving. It was one of the few days when everything was closed, except for occasionally a grocery store would stay open in case people needed to buy something last minute. Um, But pretty much everything was closed on Thanksgiving. And. But they would pay some of the staff overtime to come in and decorate that night after everybody had had their like Thanksgiving dinner. So people would come in um, because I used to have like family members and stuff that would work at retail stores. And a lot of them would sign up for the like overtime shift on Thanksgiving night. And they would go in and they would do all the holiday decorations on Thanksgiving night. So that when you would go in the day after Thanksgiving, all of a sudden Christmas was everywhere. But if you went in the day before Thanksgiving, it just looked like the normal store. Mm. You come in the day after Thanksgiving and it's suddenly just Christmas explosion. And that's how you knew Christmas season's here. Okay. Mm. But no store ever dared to put up anything when we were kids before Thanksgiving. And that's kind of what you see at the start of this movie. Because you see that it's the day of the Thanksgiving Day Parade, so it's Thanksgiving. And in literally the first scene of the movie, you see closed for Thanksgiving on that store, and there's a guy in the store decorating for Christmas. Mm -hmm. He's stayed over working overtime to put up the Christmas decorations, so when they open the next day, there will be Christmas decorations. Because that's when Christmas starts in America, traditionally. It's not that way anymore. Christmas now starts before Halloween. Because everything is awful now. But that the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, when Santa Claus shows up at the end, for Americans, that's when Christmas starts. In fact... 
outside of the outside of the United States, this movie was called The Big Heart because they didn't know no one outside of the United States would understand 34th Street. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really know how how this film plays to a non-American audience, but for Americans, this movie is so wrapped up in all of the American traditions, you know? Um, I know that there are traditions of, like, going to stores and seeing Santa Claus, at least in other countries, because there's, like, my favorite Discworld book is the Christmas-based Discworld book. Mm. And there's a whole thing where... um it's it's a it's a book called Hogfather and Death has to take over for their version of Santa Claus and he basically goes and is a mole Santa for a bit and it does not go the way uh, people would expect um so i know that there has to be some sort of tradition like that in england cuz they're very english based books hmm. um so you know at least the the kind of mall Santa idea has to has to have some sort of basis, you know. Um, and they have the little the little Dutch girl mm-hmm. in the movie wanting to go see Santa Claus. So, you know, th- I know that that has to to be in other countries, and I'm sorry, I'm not more up on the Christmas traditions of other countries, but, you know, it really does feel like such a culturally American film when you, when you watch it as an American, you know, um, because I don't really know exactly when other countries start their Christmas season because they don't Thanksgiving, have Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Thank Thanksgiving at least, I mean, Canada has a Thanksgiving, but it's a different That's what, date. Thanksgiving is before Halloween. Yeah, I mean, it's a different date, you know, for for Canada. But, um, you know, in, in America, that's that's kind of always marked, you know, the delineation. And I I like the idea of. We don't really know why Chris Kringle shows up. He's just, we open the movie with him just wandering the streets of New York. Yeah, he uh, that, that, that storefront you talked about, he kind of talks to the person and says, no, 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 you have the reindeer in the wrong order. And, you know, this reindeer has, like, four points on their their antlers instead of three and, you know, all that kind of, you know. And we don't know why he's there. And we never do find that out. The movie, well, all versions of the movie. Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Hmm. All versions of the movie keep it ambiguous. Is this man really Santa Claus or is he a old man with some mental problems? 
some delusion that he is Santa Claus. Which I like that in all versions, they keep it ambiguous. That he may or may not be the real Santa Claus. But as for why he's there, who knows? I, the only explanation I ever got, I ever understood. <clears throat> the only explanation I ever understood it in, in this movie is the character of Susan. In this movie, played by a very young Natalie Wood. Susan has been conditioned by her mother. The legendary Maureen O'Hara, who which we have talked hey, about before. Hey. I, I need you to to redo that again from Susan is conditioned because you cut out. All right. What the only thing I could even think of of why the quote real Santa Claus is coming to New York will be Susan. Little Susan, played by a very young Natalie Wood, has been conditioned by her mother, Doris, played by the legendary Maureen O'Hara, who we have talked about before when we talked about the parent trap all that while ago. Yeah. To not believe in fantasy. Santa Claus isn't real. The Easter Bunny isn't real. The Tooth Fairy isn't real. Don't believe she... in fairy tales and Prince Charming is going to save you. Doris has issues. Well, the thing is... This is what I love. This was my favorite thing when I was when when I was doing the research on this. Mm -hmm. Because we think of this movie as like one of the most wholesome films ever made, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is absolutely just saccharine, sugary, nothing wholesomeness, right? But when the movie came out, um there was like a Catholic morality league or something. I forget the name of it, but they gave it a B for partially morally. I forget what they called it, but it was like par partially morally objectionable or something. Because Doris is, is a single mom divorce. Because Doris is divorced. It's not just that she's a single mom. I think if she'd have been a widow or something, it would have been fine. But specifically that she was divorced and that was morally objectionable to this Catholic, you know, group or whatever. Yeah, even in the even in the 40s, there were people complaining about the morality of movies and. Yeah, yeah. but my point is little little Susan has been conditioned by her mother, Doris, about not believing in fantasy because Doris is divorced, she doesn't want to put that fantasy of Prince Charming is going to sweep you off your feet and give you happily ever after to her daughter. Because that's not what happens in the real world. Unfortunately, it does have a side effect for Susan in that she has no imagination and no desire or respect for fantasy. As we see Fred... Our lawyer and Doris's love interest in this movie tries to connect to her, tries to connect to to Susan through children's stories. Jack and the Beanstalk, he mentions by name, and she has no idea what that is. Giants aren't real. What are you talking about, Uncle Fred? And she also talks about later how 
The other children won't play with her because she doesn't know how to pretend. She refuses to pretend. Uh, her class. She talks about how her classmates played zoo, and all of the kids were pretending to be different animals, and she didn't understand why they would want to pretend to be something that they're not. You know, they they asked me what kind of animal I am, and I said I'm not an animal. I'm a girl, and they don't want to play with her because she refuses to play their game. So that's the only explanation I can get in this movie is that Santa Claus has come to install the joy of imagination into this child. That's yeah, all I got. I mean, it it is the most obvious reading that's there, you know, is that like if he is the real Santa Claus and not just some dude, you know, um then you know his santa sense is tingling and he's like there's a little girl out there who needs imagination you know um i mean i i've always kind of identified with susan because i mean i've told you before but like my parents never let me you know they 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 always were were very like no santa claus you know different reasons but yeah but different reasons, yeah. But unlike unlike Susan, it was, um, you know, in in our house, Santa Claus was a story like Jack and the Beanstalk, you know, like for for me, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk was a story. It wasn't like. Let let me tell you about long ago when there was a boy named Jack and he climbed a beanstalk. It was just let me tell you this fictional story about, you know. And so if I watched something with Santa Claus, it was let us watch this fictional story about a character named Santa Claus. Okay. Um and so but un unlike susan i was encouraged with imagination and fairy tales as long as i understood that the fairy tales were Fiction. stories you know there there is a difference between story and reality you know there's there's storybooks and there's real things and it's okay to read storybooks and pretend, you know, um, but you have to have like the delineation between the two. Um, and so that, that was, you know, there, there was like a very clear partition, but it wasn't like, one one was discouraged in my household, you know. Um, so I kind of I kind of feel bad for Susan that the one was discouraged completely, you know. I, I don't think that that was the intent of Doris. She just didn't want her daughter to believe in fairy stories, not to completely shut out fantasy from her entire life 
it's just that's kind of the side effect. Yeah, but the thing is, is like we never see Doris like playing with Susan. Mm. Like you never see, you know, Doris always seems kind of very, I don't want to say cold because she does attempt to be a good mother. But Doris has a lot of trauma. (laughs) One could assume that it was a very messy divorce. Uh, You know, and, and maybe not so great a marriage. Mm. I mean, we we never we never know anything about Susan's father. He he's only mentioned in in passing as she is divorced, and that's all we get of Susan's father. Mm. Um, but you know, you you have a feeling that that she has a lot of trauma around men maybe mm. um but it's it's kind of sad because <coughs> sorry <coughs> excuse me hold on a second it's kind of sad because she's so Doris is so wrapped up in trying to make sure that her daughter understands the quote-unquote real world that she doesn't provide any time for the sort of play that children need when they're growing up and that's why I really love there's there's a scene where Susan is talking to Chris Kringle and he's explaining, you know, you were talking about the zoo game. And she said they that the children were mad at her because she wouldn't play. And Chris Kringle teaches her how to pretend to be a monkey. And she's confused at first, but eventually she gets into it and she's having fun. And he explains to her that imagination is not necessarily rejecting the real world it's just like visiting another country the imagination yeah i do like that i do like that you know is that you can you can go to different nations on a vacation and you're still in the real world and you can do the same with the imagination and I liked that that idea because it was perfectly appropriate for her age group. You know, is it's you don't have to get lost in imagination. You don't have to use imagination to replace reality. It's just a fun place to visit. Mm-hmm. You know, and I really loved that scene. Of him encouraging that play that she's still a little girl, but she's just pretending right now to be a monkey. It's not her reality, 
it's just a vacation to imagination, you know, <laughs> which I which I really enjoyed. Um, and I oh that that scene really struck me. I think it's probably my favorite scene in the movie. I will say that while I haven't seen the 90s movie in quite a bit, the 90s movies always had an air of cynicism to it. It was the 90s. That was the style at the time. But the 40s movie has a bit of a more optimistic tone, even in the more cynical parts of the movie. Which I like more for a Christmas movie. If that makes sense to anybody. Yeah, I mean, this is very definitely your more traditional Christmas movie. This this is more, this is a Hallmark movie before Hallmark. Um, better writing than a Hallmark movie. I, definitely better writing than a Hallmark movie. I mean, this was up for Best Picture. It it yeah. didn't win, but it was it was up for Best Picture. Um. And it did it did win for for best writing. Um, so I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> um, and um, of course, uh, it also won an acting award for Edmund Gwynn, who who plays our Chris Kringle here. Um, but the writers just they got all of the Oscars. So, um, and, and I think probably rightfully so. I don't know what they were up against that year, but it is a very well written movie as far as the construction of it. Um, even, even knowing how I feel about Christmas movies in general, it is very well put together and the dialogue is not as cheesy as most Christmas movies, <laughs> which I appreciate. Um, but I do like how closely they play the line of it is impossible to tell whether or not this man is the real Santa Claus. Everyone, everyone kind of agrees by the end of the movie that there is a real Santa Claus. Yes. I mean, right down to the court case that is like, we agree there is a real Santa Claus. Because they actually have the the prosecutor's son come out there like, what, what are you, you know, my daddy told me there is a Santa Claus and my daddy wouldn't lie, would he? Yeah, um, and then the prosecutor has to go on record as like, well, there, yep, the, I, I believe there is a real Santa Claus, you know. The question um, is, is this guy the real Santa Claus? Yeah. Um. So according to this movie, it is on the government record that there, there is in fact a, a Santa Claus. Um. And according to the government, this this man is the the factual Santa Claus. Um, however, the movie kind of does leave it up to the audience interpretation of whether or not this 
Kris Kringle is the factual Santa Claus. Um, yeah, I mean, what, like you said, with the little Dutch girl, he starts speaking Dutch to her. Uh, he'll... But as Maureen O'Hara says, you know, as Doris, you know, Doris tells Susan, I speak French. That does not make me Joan of Arc. <laughs> you know, does he speak all languages as Santa Claus is supposedly capable of? Or does he just happen to speak Dutch? And that was a one off thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I mean. There's also the ending, which is, which either could be a definitive or coincidental. We're skipping around with this movie. It's a classic movie that's been around forever. I'm pretty sure you know the story, everyone. But the end of the movie where they're driving to it, where Chris, where Chris tells him, you know, if you want to avoid traffic, go down this road, this road, this road. And they go down the road. And they pass by Susan's dream house. The house that she's been begging for throughout the entire movie. The house that she asked Chris Kringle for for Christmas. And they see it. It's exactly as Susan pictured it. Her This little picture she got out of a magazine. The rooms are exactly the way she thought they would look. There's a nice for sale sign on the front. And then they find... A cane by the fireplace, which may or may not be Chris Kringle's cane that he's been carrying around this whole movie. So, again, it's leaving it up to the audience. Is this just a coincidence that this cane just happens to be here? Is it a coincidence that the direction that Chris Kringle told him to go just happened to lead to this very house? Or is he the real Santa Claus who just can't fit a house down the chimney? Yeah. The the thing is, is that, you know, right up until the moment they spot the cane, Fred is is telling Doris, he's like, you know hey, you've got to admit that I'm the best lawyer in the world because I got a court to declare a crazy old dude off the street the actual Santa Claus. Like, Fred does not even seem to believe that Chris Kringle is Santa Claus. And then they look over and they spot the cane and he's like, or maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Yeah, or or, <laughs> or maybe I just had a client who was telling the truth. Um I mean it's kind of interesting that like the adults in the film do not seem to buy his line like through the entire movie i mean they even give him a psychiatric exam to see if he's has his faculties in check which is not present in the 90s movie for i think you know again times have changed and that would not have worked 
Well, the thing is, is that it's slightly not not that much more difficult, but it is slightly more difficult to have somebody uh, committed committed um, nowadays than it was in the 40s. Um, Like I said, sadly, not that much more difficult. But it it would have been a a little less believable that they could have just had like a dude who and remember the dude in this movie is not even a shrink like he's not even a licensed anything he's like a a guy who works at Macy's or something that gives like I think they say he he just gives like personality tests or something for HR or whatever. Yeah, he's not even a licensed psychiatrist, which we go into into the movie itself where Chris even says he has a deep respect for psychiatrists. He's been treated multiple times. And he can recite all of the questions and do all of the tests. But his Wh- anger Which com- seems very sus. Yes. If the if the if you're going for this guy is the legit Santa. Like, why would the legit Santa have been through so many psychiatric tests that he could recite the questions? Like, are there that many psychiatrists at the North Pole? Uh, yeah. Uh, question mark. Question mark. <laughs> and but his anger goes through this 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 person because he's not even a real psychiatrist and he's giving psychiatric examinations to the other employees, inc- including uh, the janitor who plays Santa at a different store. No, he plays the YMCA. Oh, yeah. He's he's doing he's doing it for um like volunteer for the kids over at the YMCA, which he, is is so sweet. I love the janitor character. I am just gonna say that right now. I adore the the janitor guy. He is so sweet. He is the cinnamon roll of this movie. And yeah, and they said, you know, he's only 17 years old. He's doing it because it's cause to be nice. He he likes Christmas. He just wants to see these the smiles on these kids' faces. Yeah, and you know that if he's working as a janitor at Macy's, he's not making much money. He's he's already like poor himself. <sighs> I, um, you know, personal story. I actually used to be a janitor at Macy's way back in the day, and you're right. <laughs> I, I mean, let, let's let's face it. Janitors never make the money that they should. Mm. Janitors make the world go round. All respect to anyone who works in any kind of sanitation job. I respect them more than I respect almost anybody on the planet. Like, bravo to anyone who does any sort of cleaning job. 
you are the most amazing people on the planet and I adore you. They need to be making CEO money. And I am I, I am officially on record as that. <laughs> like <laughs> sanitation workers need to be the most highly paid people on the planet. Um but the um you know, so anyway, you already know that he's like the lowest paid guy on the list, you know? And he still goes over and volunteers his time to give presents to children who are in worse situations than he is. Like, this is a stand-up dude. I like this dude. Yeah. And then the the wannabe psych gives him this, oh, you have this guilt complex and you want to do nice things only because you feel guilty for some bad thing you did in the past. And again, this kid's only 17. As Chris says, he hasn't even lived long enough to make a bad decision. And also, like, the, the, the wannabe shrink is telling him, like, you hate your father or something. And he's like, I didn't even know I hated my father until the dude told me, but I guess I do. And it's like, no, dude, you don't. This, this guy is just, you he's know, a quack. yeah, he's a complete quack and he's pretending to things he knows nothing about, you know, it's like the guy read one like newspaper article that was badly written about the Oedipus complex or something. And now he's just going around being like, I know more than you and I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Love the janitor. Hate the dude that pretends to be a shrink. And then we, of course we get to Chris saying, you know, I'm going to talk to him and tell him, Hey, stop giving fake psychiatric advice to the employees. You're not even a real shrink. Stop it. And this is where, honestly, the shrink, the fake shrink, is the villain of this story. The cl- I mean, he is legit the villain because he just wants Chris gone. And, you know, he has this weird vendetta against Santa, it seems, in this movie. Yeah, like, did he not get the toy he wanted when he was seven and now he's like, Santa is evil or something? Like, I don't know. And he's we not... don't really know why he hates the idea of Santa or whatever, but man, he's got some issues. Yeah, and he's not a and just to drive it home, after one of these fake psychic valuations with, with Chris, he gets a call from his wife and just no, I'm not going to give you money. If your bum of a brother wouldn't wouldn't have blown it all, I wouldn't have to give you any money. Stop calling me at work. Just to drive home that this is the bad guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we really needed it driven home that much more, but, you know, they, they do not make it subtle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it really comes to the point, the turn in this movie is that confrontation 
And then Chris just baps him in the head with his cane. It's a light tap. But he but is for some he, reason he he has like a massive lump on his head the next scene. But he oversells this this shock. It's like it's like you it, even a professional wrestler will look at him saying, "Dude, dial it back." Although if that was Ric Flair, you know he'd be bleeding from the head from that tap. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Got a razor blade right in his pocket. Yep. But yeah, he gets bonked on the head. He fakes passing out and starts this vendetta of trying to get Chris fired and committed. Like this man thinks he's the real Santa Claus. I questioned whether he was the real Santa Claus and he hit me. Look at the lump on my head. Which gets Chris committed and which gets us into the mo- the probably the most famous part of this movie is the court scene. The famous, you know, does Santa Claus exist? Is this man really Santa? I I like that there are two parts to the argument. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fred is is really savvy with his court argument. Mm-hmm. I I will say because he goes at it in two phases. The first is that he is savvy enough to kind of build it up in the press that he he won't let it be quiet, you know? Yeah, it, you know, Macy's commits Santa. Yeah, and also that a court is trying to decide on whether Santa is real or not. Which is not, as they point out, the judge is up for re-election. Yeah, we get a nice little role of uh, William Frawley from I Love, before I Love I Love Lucy. I know him from I Love Lucy, but this is a few years before I Love Lucy was a show. <laughs> yeah, um, it it is interesting to, to see him in this, but uh, I it's been so long since I've seen this movie, I had forgotten that this movie is just packed with famous character actors and, you know, people, you know, from TV and, you know, all that. I had forgotten that Natalie Wood was a little girl in this. I'm, I'm going to be honest about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, one of the most awful things about America is our elected judge system. Yeah. So, you know. That comes into play here where William Frawley's character, who's like a political advisor to the judge, comes in and he's like, you do not want to be the judge that is like Santa Claus is not real because that's going to go down awful when you're up for election in a couple of months, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's so bad that, you know, the. The judge's grandchildren won't even hug him goodnight because he's like being mean to Santa Claus. And, you know, I like that Fred is going that route in in the press, because honestly, it, it is a way to put political pressure. This is not a jury trial. It's just the judge deciding, you know, so 
he's using that like political heat on on the judge which you know if this were a more important case like you know some sort of setting legal precedent or whatever but honestly it's trying to keep a man who is not insane out of being committed for life and as i have problems with committing people who are not like an immediate danger to society and they reference this in the movie that yes just be even if this man believes he's santa claus even if that he doesn't have all of his mental faculties even if he legitimately believes that he is santa claus he is no threat to anyone and they mention a story about a man that believes he's the he's the prince of england or king of england and he's a pillar of his community and he still believes that but everyone in his community loves him he's always a good person and donates and is a volunteers but he still believes he's the king of england and he doesn't he is there's no harm to anybody and just let him let him let him live Yeah, I mean, it's like, I am very much, again, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm like a prison abolitionist and all kinds of, you know, stuff, you know, uh, but like, I am very, very against taking anyone's freedom away unless you can prove that they are a direct threat to other people, you know? Like, I I am absolutely against locking people up for any reason unless you can prove that they are an ongoing threat to the safety of others in their community. So, like, I don't care if the movie was like, this guy is absolute Looney Tunes and is not the real Santa and has all sorts of mental problems is he a direct threat to anyone in his community or like you know maybe himself or something you know and you're trying to keep him from harming himself you know no then what is he hurting again yeah that's part let of the him of- let him walk around town in a santa costume 24 7 365 I do not care. Let him legally change his name to Santa Claus. Do not care. Which is kind of why the fake psych guy tries to provoke Chris into physically assaulting him. Yeah. Because say, I told you he was a threat. Now we got to lock him up. He hit me. Yeah, I mean, he might be a threat to that one guy. Just get a you know, restraining order. (laughs) (laughs) But then again, that guy kind of deserved it. So I'm kind of on Chris's side there. Um, The uh, also, why is that guy not like paying fines or something for practicing psychiatry without a license? Mm. Like that guy committed a legitimate crime. And a big part of the the press is the goodwill campaign that Chris unintentionally started. Because he's sitting in the he's working at Santa, and he's and he's and this kid's telling him what he wants for Christmas. I believe uh, a red fire engine. 
And the mom t- tells him, how, how dare you tell him he's going to get that for Christmas? I've been all over the city, and I haven't found the exact red fire engine my son wants. So he pulls out this notebook, said, oh, yeah, 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 I know which one you're talking about. I've seen that one. It's at this store over there on, on another street. You're going to go down that way. I, there was a plenty of them over there. I make it my business to know the toys, what, what, set, what stores are tell, selling what toys at Christmas. Because he's Santa, you know. And this starts this goodwill campaign of, well, yes, us at Macy's. Well, if we don't have it, we're going to tell you where to get it for the good of the holidays. And you'll see that Macy's is the store with a heart. Because, <laughs> of course, they're going to turn this act of goodwill into an act of capitalism because America. Yeah, and also the the mom in, in that scene played by Thelma Ritter amazing amazing actress uh she is on record for having more best actress oscar nominations than anybody else but never had a win oh susan lucci before susan lucci yeah i mean really but um yeah she she was a, a amazing character actress and she was in like everything um and just a, incredible incredible actor so yeah, yeah she, she I, I i was i was shocked to see her in it because once again i i forgot she was in this and she's only in like one small scene because this was really early in her career yeah, so she says to the store manager, I've never been a regular shopper at Macy's before, but if this is how you're going to, you know, if you're going to forego the commercialism of Christmas just to do a good thing, I'm going to shop at Macy's from now on. Which gets the ball rolling at every other store, which is where Gimbo comes in. Well, if they're doing it, we're going to do it, and we're going to do it at all of our stores all over the country, which leads to Macy saying, you know what, we're also going to do it at every one of our stores around the country. That would never happen in real life. Because the minute Chris Kringle would have said, you can find this thing somewhere else, because he's told right on this first day in the job, these are the toys we want to sell. These are the toys that are advertising. Mr. Kringle, you need to tell the children and their parents to buy these toys that we sell at Macy's. And Chris Kringle does the exact opposite by telling him, go to the different store. You'll find what you want over there. In real life, Chris would either have been reprimanded or fired. Yeah. The, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. The thing is, is that, you know, the thing that almost gets him fired is uh, originally is that he refuses to, I, I mean, at least from Doris's perf- perspective, he refuses to break kayfabe and tell uh, Susan that he's not the real Santa. And she's like no you you can come clean with my daughter like we're not in public right now i know that you think you were hired to like be santa in front of all children but like my daughter wants to know the truth 
I am Santa. Well, what's your name? Chris Kringle. What's your real name? Chris Kringle. And then she's like, that's when she's like, you know, hey, bring me his employ employment card. And it says like Chris Kringle on there. And she's like, uh, hometown you know. North Pole next of kin eight reindeer. Yeah. Why wouldn't Mrs. Claus be the next of kin? You'd think so, right? Right. Or at least like an elf. <laughs> but. No, the this the is reindeer. before the Rankin Bass special, so I can't name Hermie on that one. Yeah. Um, the thing is though is that it's 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 so weird that like he he gets so upset with the. The guy that's supposed to be playing Santa in the Thanksgiving Day Parade for being drunk. Like comically drunk. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it was meant to be comical. And of course, today it just comes off as weird. Um, But the interesting thing is that the footage of the parade... Like when it's not an actual close up of of one of the the actors, when you see the actual parade, that's the real Macy's parade. They filmed it the nineteen forty six parade, and the actors were on site for the parade. So if you see the actors with the parade in the background, and even um Natalie Wood. And uh, John Payne in the window watching the parade. They were in a window watching the parade. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they they were uh, the actors were they were kind of guerrilla filmmaking it. I mean, they had permission to film it. But, you know. There were people there watching it because it was the real parade. So they kind of had to film around it. And they only had the the time the parade was going on. There were really no reshoots. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is actual footage of the 1946 Macy's Day Parade. And some of those floats and balloons are still in the parade. Granted, a lot of them have been rebuilt many times over the years, but some of the balloons and floats still in the parade. The balloon of Theseus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's really fascinating that, they did that apparently they just had like a ton of cameras film cameras on site to just grab a bunch of angles and hoped that afterwards they could splice something together because they only had one shot yeah um which is fascinating i mean you wouldn't really find them doing that now like they would set they, up their own parade just to film in a certain way and keep or, or re- they would CGI it in or something, yeah. you know. <coughs> Sorry. But that's 
the that's the undercut of I mean that's another layer of this trial is that this is this one man started this goodwill campaign of all of the stores in New York City to say if we don't have it we'll send you somewhere where you can find it is now on trial for lunacy. I mean, as far as capitalism goes, that is lunacy, so... Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> but I, what I was saying about the twofold thing is he starts the... the thing of... you're putting the idea of Santa Claus on trial, and he uses the press for that. Mm-hmm. So his his first step is you have to get the court to agree... That there is a Santa Claus. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. <laughs> and he is able to get the prosecutor to agree to that by the sudden witness of... His son. <laughs> yeah, the, the prosecutor's son. Um, and so finally the, the judge is like, okay... We all agree there's an actual Santa Claus. Okay, let's just concede that right now. You know, even the prosecutor is like, okay, Santa Claus, real, yes. Everybody's okay with that. <coughs> Sorry. I don't know, it's okay. I really hope I'm not getting sick. Anyway, so everyone in the court takes it as fact. Santa Claus, real, yes. So with that established, Then the second part of the case becomes, is the man sitting in the courtroom the actual Santa Claus? And that becomes the the step two. A step two that Fred wasn't ready for. Yeah, that was that was the the thing. And we get kind of a deus ex machina kind of thing. Yeah, because Susan, feeling sad that Mr. Kringle feels sad because he's locked up, sends him a letter to make him feel better. You know, I hope you feel better. I hope this goes, you know, this reaches you, blah, 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 blah. I, I really believe in, believe in you. you and believe is misspelled because she's a little kid. And then Doris signs it as well. I believe in you, too. And they send it to the court. This gets into the mail system. One of the one of the workers there say, hey, we got another letter to Santa Claus. But this is addressed to the New York court. Oh, yeah. Did you hear that? They're putting that one. Uh, they're putting this guy that believes he's Santa Claus on trial. Hey, let's as a joke, let's get rid of all of these. Old Santa Claus letters to the court and send them. That we have to send them somewhere. They've been sitting in this in in a room for God knows how long. Let's just send them to the New York. We actually have a physical address we can send these to. Let's just send them. And of course, there's that scene that has been homaged and parodied so many times in TV shows and other movies. You know what I'm talking about. It's the scene of all of these people carrying bags of mail and just pouring it on the judge's desk addressed to Santa Claus. 
how many parodies of that scene have you seen? Because I've seen a bunch. Yeah, I mean it. It is a a m- multi-parodied scene. <laughs> but yeah, so if and this, I mean, you know, go ahead, head her. The judge even comes to that decision: is that if the U.S. Postal Service, a section of the government, believes this man to be Santa Claus, then I, as a representative of the U.S. government, cannot disagree. Which is a great out of that scenario. And like you said, it is a deus ex machina scenario. It's a scenario that is pure luck. Like, if the if those postal workers had not sent those mail those letters to the court this would have been a much different movie the much different ending to this movie yeah but it, it it's a great scene it's a great ending and where i mean it's it's just this beautiful scene of you know Santa Claus is real, and this man is the real Santa Claus. According to, you know, official court in New York, you know? Yeah. And, of course, you know, like we said, we get that that last kind of sum-up scene um, where they're at the... The Christmas party. The thing is, is that the the one thing I do like is that the court case is finished on Christmas Eve. And Doris and Fred say, hey, why don't you come back to the apartment building? Because they live in the same apartment building. And come back to the apartment building with us and celebrate and have like Christmas Eve dinner. And Chris Kringle says, well, you know, I can't. It's Christmas Eve. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't look good if the real Santa Claus skipped out on his duties. Well, and then he just disappears. Yeah. And the thing is, is he doesn't have a place to live because before he was committed, he was living with Fred. He was living. Okay, they start out with him living at an old folks home in Long Island. Long commute to New York City. Yeah. And they said, well, so he doesn't have to do the long commute. He can stay with the store manager. And the store manager, well, I have to convince my wife. Let me get my wife blackout drunk and she'll agree to anything. That's uh, that's very um, interesting. Yeah, let, let's not talk about that. <laughs> but that was the plan. I'm going to make... The hardest martini I can I can for my wife's my wife and I have a martini every night. I'll make the hardest one I can, and she'll be blackout drunk and she'll agree to anything. To have Mr. Kringle stay with us through the Christmas season. So he doesn't have to make this long commute. And then Fred said, You know what? I've never met a man like you, Mr. Kringle. I live I, I'm actually closer to the store. We live closer to the store than the manager does. Stay with me. I have an extra bed. You can stay with me. 
And that's how that happens. Yeah. But the thing is, is that he just disappears for all of Christmas Eve night. He does not come back to anybody's apartment. And as we just established, he does not live anywhere else. Okay. Which I do like that that's just left open-ended and nobody tends to question where he went, okay? Um, But Christmas morning, everybody's at a party for the Macy's employees. Macy's is throwing a big party for the the employees. And uh, there is Kris Kringle in his Santa suit. And there is also the janitor in his Santa suit being the helper, which I find adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the, the kids of the employees run in and there are presents for them under the tree. And Susan is very sad because there is a present for her, but it's not a house. And she was like, I know there wasn't going to be a house under the tree, but I thought maybe there'd be like a letter or a picture, you know, something. The deed, you know. Yeah, the deed. Like, you know, (laughs) here, child, here is a deed to a house. (laughs) Um, But, you know, and then, of course, we have an adorable thing of Doris being like, you just have to believe in people, which I kind of I kind of like this speech because it is a completely secular speech about the spirit of christmas because it doesn't bring up religion once but it just talks about having faith in people and i kind of like that part of it yeah um something that the remake doesn't have the remake actually does go into religion yeah like you said it the remake is a bit more cynical you know, that was our onion on the belt at the time. And, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of another thing of, like, I, I think I like the way this movie handles it better because it's, it's very just neutral. Mm. You know, you can take it either way. You can take it as a religious thing if you want. You can take it as, you know, a secular thing if you want. But it's kind of just neither you know which i i kind of respect you know um especially for the 40s yeah um but you know doris it's kind of like you know you have to keep believing and have faith in people and you should believe in mr kringle even if you didn't get what you wanted right now (coughs) excuse me um, and this leads to my other favorite scene in the movie where Susan just goes and sits on a bench in the corner and she just starts chanting, I believe, I believe, even though it's silly, I'm still believing, I'm, I believe, I believe. <laughs> and I'm like, that is so me when I wake up every morning, it's like, I'm, I'm I'm alive, I'm alive, even though it's silly, I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is, I'm like, Susan, I am with you, girl. I feel all that feels. 
Um, and then, you know, like like we said, you know, they have to drive home on Christmas and Chris Kringle's like, oh, yeah, you know, here's take this route. It, it won't have much traffic on it. And that's when they Susan is like, wait, there's my dream house and it has a for sale sign and let's all be a family together. Look, there's a swing, you know. And, and, and Doris and Fred have their first kiss of the movie right at the end. It's, I mean, yes, like I said, they're they're supposed to be the love interest, but this is like the first instance of them having any kind of anything beyond you are my neighbor and you are my friend, which is really. Well, I mean, the movie sets it up that he's chasing her hard right from the beginning because he invites Susan over to watch the parade from his window, which has a better view of the parade. Cause he's his window faces the parade route directly. And, um, when Doris comes over to collect Susan, he said, Oh, well, I found out that the best way to meet a mom is to be nice to her kid. And like, you find out, like, it's not that he doesn't, he's, he's not nice to Susan. Like, you know, but he was using like, hey, Susan, you know, do you want a better view of the parade as a way to like lure Dor- Doris over there so he could like ask her out, basically. And good on Fred for not being intimidated about a woman who already has a child. Yeah, I mean, that that's nice. Like he's he's like, you know, single mom with like a seven or eight year old kid. Like, I'm I'm fine with it, you know, mm-hmm. Um. And then, like, he's already coaxed Susan into being like, hey, Fred doesn't have anywhere to go for Thanksgiving. Why doesn't he come over to our place? And that, like, you find out that he's, like, coached her <laughs> on basically getting him invited to Thanksgiving dinner at their house. It's almost he's like he's sweet in on, on it. Doris. It's almost like she's in on it, you know? Like, Susan understands the plan. <laughs> yeah, because she lets it draw. Like, she's not good at, like lying because you know no fantasy no pretend and so like she does it it, it's like she does the thing of like mommy can't he come over because we have such a big turkey and it's just gonna be the two of us and you know we have too much food and then she turns to him and she goes did i say that correctly (laughs) which of course is like you know gives up the game Mm -hmm. but you know like he has a plan to woo Doris you know right from the beginning of the movie so you know that like he doesn't see her as just a friend it's just a movie in the 40s and it's a movie made for like families so there's not going to be like a lot of hot and heavy stuff that also got changed in the 90s remake (laughs) well what is appropriate for family viewing changed a lot over the years. I'm just saying, know. I mean, I, I hate making the comparisons, but you got to make the comparisons. Well, yeah, I mean, but there is a reason why, you know, I chose this. I, I will also say we both watched this on Disney Plus. Yeah, this is the new, because uh, technically Miracle on 34th Street is on Hulu, and we have the new Hulu Disney Plus integration in the United States. Yeah. Uh, which we haven't talked about on the show before because it really just happened. 
Yeah, um, we were in the middle of Doctor Who month at the time. Yeah. Um, Which um, we have not really made any concrete decisions on that. Whether we're really going to go, oh, it's on Disney Plus, therefore it's fair game. Or we're just going to stick to what Disney owns. Going to be honest, we haven't really decided hard fact on that yet. Yeah. Uh, if you have uh, strong opinions on it, let us know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but I mean, this is now Disney-owned because it was, you know, it Fox. Mm-hmm. But um, the the thing about it is that I like that Disney Plus has the original black and white version because this was one of the first films to undergo that colorization process. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so most places that showed it for a very long time showed the colorized version, thinking that that was what people preferred. Turner! Yeah. Um, And I, I really appreciate that the Disney Plus version is the original black and white version. And it looks good. Like, it's not high quality. There's no way to make that look high quality from a movie from the 1940s. But it looks as good as it's going to get. And Yeah. Yeah, I, I really appreciated it. It is very good quality. And um, so, yeah. I, I mean, bravo to, to them for having it in the original format mm-hmm. and not crop to white screen either yeah so yeah so yeah um i'm uh, ready to wrap up if yeah. you are so kiki does miracle on 34th street the original have the magic i think it does it's still a cute movie that that holds up and you know, I mean, I've I've shared my feelings on Christmas movies before, but for a Christmas movie, it's it's cute and it's fine and it's not overly saccharine. Uh, good writing, good acting. So, yeah, I'm going to agree. Uh, like I said, there, you know, we our generation did grow up in the '90s movie, but I I do like the overall more wholesome positive vibe that this movie gives versus the 90s movie uh, i do appreciate that this is a half an hour shorter than the 90s movie yeah that too and that the story is pretty cut and dry like 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 there's nothing in this movie that doesn't need to be in this movie there's no there's no set there's no scenes that go on too long there's no characters that don't need to be here. There's, it tells you what it needs to tell you in its hour and a half format. And yeah, it's still a classic. It's still good. And yeah, I do actually recommend if you have seen the the 90s remake and you have not seen the 40s original, uh, give it a chance, especially if you have Disney Plus or Hulu or both or whatever. If you get a chance to watch the original Miracle on 34th Street, uh, do so. Yeah. So that's it. This is our final show 
of 2023. And what a year it has been for this podcast. And our next episode will be the first episode of 2024 and will release on New Year's Day. And we are finally diving into the X-Men universe. We have de- we have done uh, a bunch of the MCU movies. We've done the Fantastic Four uh, Fox movie. But now we're doing the Fox X-Men movie starting with the original X-Men from 2000. What do you expect, Kiki? Yellow spandex? Oh, I wish... And considering that these characters have kind of come back in the MCU, it's time to start getting into these movies. Yep. So, yeah. So we'll come back next week with X-Men, Marvel's X-Men, Fox's X-Men, and we'll see and we'll talk to you all next year. Yeah. Bye. 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 <laughs>